The reading this morning is uh, from Luke chapter 10. It can be found on your handout or obviously in your pew Bible or your own Bible if you have it with you. So Luke chapter 10, verses, uh, Luke chapter 11, sorry, verses 1 through to 10. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. This is the word of the Lord. Just as you came in, you should have received uh, an outline um, of this uh, well-known passage. And it's interesting, in a secular, non-church-going age, that by and large, if I'm doing a funeral or wedding, and I ask people uh, to join with me in saying the Lord's Prayer, I'm actually pretty confident that still most people actually know this. Isn't that interesting? Word for word. Um, Now, we commonly call it the Lord's Prayer, but of course it isn't. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17, isn't it? That's when Jesus prays. That's the Lord's Prayer, the Lord praying. This is far better called the Disciples' Prayer, because that's who it's for. It's a guide to how we pray. And and therefore, um, we also need to be uh, careful that we don't just kind of say it off um, by rote, um, it's interesting, Jesus warns against this. Matthew's version um, of the Lord's Prayer, um, Jesus at the beginning, he says these words, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And one of the disadvantages of having a prayer memorized, though it's a massive advantage, is that sometimes actually people use it like a lucky charm. <laughs> and people use it almost as an incantation. Oh, you know, something bad is happening, oh, quickly, we'll say the Lord's Prayer. Um, It's kind of what I call Harry Potter spirituality, and it's kind of if you say some words in the right order, maybe good things um, will take place. Well, Jesus, in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, or the disciples' prayer, says that's not the case. And uh, both in Matthew and Luke, um, we're pointed to the heart of the prayer, which is the one we're praying to. Which is why I never quite like that um, phrase, the power of prayer. There is no power of prayer. Really? No. There is power in the one we're praying to. That's the big difference. You can see the difference. 
There's no power in prayer. It's not some sort of psychological set of words. They might make you feel better, but there's no power inherent. The power comes in the one we're praying to. And uh, Jesus emphasizes this in the first words. Look at the first two verses. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Oh, wait a minute. Let's just look. Who's actually asking this? It says a disciple. Mm, that's interesting. The person asking, Lord, teach us to pray, is someone who knew how to pray. He was a Jew. So he would have been brought up um, as a baby learning to pray. Indeed, he would have prayed at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. So this wasn't a newbie. He was an experienced prayer, and yet he asked that question. Teach us to pray. Why? One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Jesus was modeling what it was to have a living relationship with the Father. A close, intimate, familiar, and familial meeting with someone he knew, someone he delighted in, someone he desired. And you can imagine the disciples saw that, looked at that, and felt, wow, I want that too. There is something which Jesus had, which Jesus has got, which you can see in his prayer, which I don't have, and I want that. Which is why he asked the, prayer, uh, the, uh, asked the question. So in many ways, prayer begins with us asking that question. Do we have that longing? J.C. Ryle, the first bishop of Liverpool, said about this verse, happy are those with that longing. <laughs> Lord, teach us to pray. Because he looked at Jesus and he saw something so attractive and so different, and he felt, I want that too, that desiring. For what? Well, that's the interesting thing. Often, prayer is seen as a technique. And prayer is also understood from my own perspective, my own life, my own needs, my requests. But, but Jesus, in modeling this and then in pointing people in how to pray, says that prayer is something very different. Because at the heart of prayer is the heart of the Father. This is a radical, revolutionary, unique quality which Jesus modeled and experienced. It was so attractive. And, and he says, Father, he doesn't say, all. Oh, creator. He doesn't say God Almighty. He says Father. A and, and this again was revolutionary that a person could have this, this quality of relationship with God that he could call him and know him and experience him as Father. How can I pray this? Actually, it does say something about how and who can pray this. You see, someone can only call God their father if at first they have become his child. That makes sense, doesn't it? I'll repeat that because it's absolutely essential. I can only call God my father if at first I have become his child. We see that actually in Psalm 23, for another very popular, iconic passage. And how does it begin? The Lord is my shepherd. And we think that's really attractive, but we will only experience the Lord as my shepherd if he is first my 
flawed than you see. So these are not just words which can be just parroted out with an expectation that, that what they say becomes our experience. No, in this case, if I am to call God my father, I need to be his child. What does the Bible say? John 1, 12. Yet to all who receive him, that's Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Again and again, we need to, to have this clear. I am not born a child of God. I am not. I become a child of God. How? As I receive Jesus and believe in his name. Paul says in Galatians 3, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The, the New Testament speaks about being adopted. I'm not born as a child of God. I'm adopted by him as I put my faith in Christ. This is the qualification which enables me to pray. And it's a qualification, of course, which points to Jesus again. Nothing to do with my own life. It's to do with what Christ has done for me on the cross and me apprehending that by faith, um, uh, through by grace, through faith. And that enables me to enter into that familial close relationship with the Father. I can have confidence in him. I can be secure in him. I know he's my Father. Why? Because I've trusted in what Jesus has done for me on the cross. So what do I pray? Really quickly, and we're just going to look at the first couple of words. Here's the first one. I need to be a person who delights in the Father's name. Delight in the Father's name. The beginning and ending of this prayer, um, the beginning and ending of all prayer is delighting in God. What does that mean, the Father's name? <laughs> in, in that culture, a name was not just something you had on a badge. Yeah, That's what, you know, I might say, oh, what's your name? And I'm going to say it's Bethany, not anything else. You were worried then I was going to say something else. You were a little bit worried, I think. But in, in, in that culture, your name kind of summed up who you were as a human being. It wasn't just a, a tag. It wasn't just a something, an identity. It summed up everything about you. So when it says, Father, hallowed be your name, it's speaking about the very person and character of God. Um, that, that word hallowed means make holy, purify, consecrate, set apart. Lord, may you be honored and known and glorified for who you are. Still today, Jews will not write down God's name. It, it, is, it, is, it is very holy. Jew would say you need to be very careful. Be very careful. By the way, there's an aside here. Here's the aside. Try not to misuse God's name in a flippant, throwaway manner. What's the third commandment? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In other words, don't use God's name or the name of Jesus as part of your vocabulary unless you are talking specifically about him. Have I communicated that? Don't use God's name as part of your vocabulary unless you are talking specifically about him. Because so often the name the becomes part of the vocabulary. Does it? It's a fill-in phrase. You know, you stub your toe and you say, well, there we go, you might say all sorts of things, but you know how sometimes God's name is used as a fill-in or, or in, um, in general conversation. 
and the Bible would say, actually, just be careful because that's taking God's name in vain. Keep God's name specifically for times you are speaking about him, whether it's, it's Lord or God or, um, or Jesus or Christ. We're, we're, we're careful, aren't we? That, that's what it means, Father, hallowed be your name. But, but at the heart of this is this delight in God. Uh, and the reason I pray is not for things but for him. I'm going to repeat that. The reason I pray is not for things but for him. The reason I pray is not what we get, it's the activity itself, which is what? The heart of this is delighting in God. It starts and ends in delighting in God's grace and love, just as two lovers delight in each other's company. I do like walking on the hills, but there is something I love more, and it's walking on the hills with Kate. There we go. And my delight is ultimately not that we're in the hills, it's that I'm with Kate, yeah? And, and that's what it means to delight in someone. And so the heart of prayer, Jesus says, Father, Father. It all begins there, delighting in him. And we'll see actually in a few weeks' time how this is maybe the key way to describe what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who delights in God. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The, the stress there is not the desires of your heart, because actually, without Christ, you might have all sorts of desires, whether it's actually Man United win the Premier League and whatever. But actually, it says delight. When we delight in the Lord, that completely transforms the focus of what we want. When we delight in him, he will start to change the desires we have. Psalm 16, verse 2, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, apart from you, I have no good thing. That's someone who delights in God, doesn't he? Well, you know, apart from you, I've got nothing, I'm no good thing. The best thing I can have, the greatest thing I can have is the Lord. Is that our experience? Is that our understanding? So, so the heart of prayer is not what I pray for. It's the one I'm praying to. I have no good apart from you. Here's the question. Do we delight in him? Do we delight in him as the best thing we have? Does your heart ache, your spirit long to know him like this, to delight in him above and before all things? You, you can almost see that, th th this, this desire in, in the disciple asking, Lord, teach us. We, what you have, we want ourselves. Here's the second thing. Seek the Father's kingdom. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. In other words, we long for God's rule. We long for his presence and reign, his making things right. And part of what it means to delight in him is to long for the day when Christ comes and again makes all things new. Romans, as an example, speaks about the whole creation as groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. The creation is, is frustrated. And when we look around today, perhaps uh, more than for, for many years, boy, do we see that. Do we see that. Things are going from bad to worse. Trust me, there are many other things happening 
Um, and, and if you kind of get involved with reading serious news, I'm not talking about the internet, don't get your news off the internet, actually, things are far worse than you might even begin to imagine. Europe is having the worst drought in 500 years. The biggest inland reservoir, which is guess where? Got to be. There's only one place it's going to be. China is empty. China also is, is fake. So you see these, uh, you, see the, you see creation frustrated. And where that leads will be very interesting. But what does he say? Seek the Father's kingdom. Seek the Father's kingdom. A and we will only seek the Father's kingdom, this longing for God's rule, when we start to realize that, that actually there is something better than what we have now. That actually God's plan, God's purpose is far better than our, our nice, comfortable, though soon to be getting quite cold and chilly lifestyles. So we start to realize and say with the, the, with the scriptures, yes, the, the, the creation, the world is frustrating. It's not right. And, and we seek the Father. And that led to the early church, last, word of the, uh, last verse of the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, come, come. You're only going to be asking that, crying that, praying that. Come when you start to realize that actually what we have now will never meet the deepest desires of our heart. When we look around at the injustice, come, come. In the Greek, um, or is it the Aramaic, it's the word maranatha. That, by the way, was one of the early greetings of the Christian church. People used to come, go up to each other and say, Maranatha, the, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And that is a result, isn't it, of delighting in the Father. We delight in the Father so much that ultimately, however good this life is, we look beyond to something far better and far greater. Here's the final. Long for the Father's will. Long for the Father's will. Now this is omitted in Luke, but appears in Matthew. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's omitted in Luke, but it's an extension, really, of your kingdom come. Because when you desire God's kingdom, God's presence to come, that will always mean longing for the Father's will. Because that, that's part of delighting in him. Obedience. His will on earth as in heaven. It's the result. It's the fruit of love. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And longing for the Father's will cannot be separated from longing for the Father's words. This is so important. Longing for the Father's will cannot be separated from longing for the Father's words. Because it is only through the Father's words that we start to understand and grasp the Father's will. Jeremiah 15, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy, my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God. Because God's word reveals his person, his character, his nature, and his purposes for us. So I cannot cry out, Father, without the testimony of God's word. So I root my delight in him, my desire for him, my seeking his kingdom, my longing for his will. And, and practically, um, my prayer and my delight will, will always be linked to God's word, which is why you can never really pray without God's word. God's word and, 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 and prayer go together because it is that 
that actually reveals God's will, God's purpose, as well as God's word to me too. So our prayer is that God may do that in us. And all of us fall short of this. But this is the issue. We can become like that disciple who starts to realize there is something better. God wants me to have something better as I look to Jesus and I say, I want that too. I, I, I feel a longing, a desire, a hunger, a thirst for this. And I say, God, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. What a great, what, hey, listen, as a, as, a, as a church, wouldn't that be a great prayer this autumn? Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to delight in you. Teach us to seek your kingdom. Teach us to long for your will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that we may look to you and see things as they should be. And that our hearts are stirred with a longing to know you more. We pray that we may experience that. We may be like that disciple. That we may come to you with that longing. So, Lord, I ask that you may teach us, for we ask it in your name.